This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Good evening and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell and I'm with you until 7 o'clock on this beautiful sunny summer evening and I hope the weather is good wherever you're listening to us. Coming up on the programme this evening, the habit of taking a sauna has apparently seen a massive increase in Ireland since the pandemic. We'll talk to a man who, despite just graduating with a degree in logistics and supply chain management, chose instead to develop a range of sauna, sauna venues sauna venues around Ireland shortly his company will be opening its latest sauna on the banks of the Barrow on the Carlock Kenny border in Greignamana we'll hear from a director of one of Ireland's largest independently owned hotel groups about what his business is doing to make their operations more sustainable and about how they are developing a 10 acre solar farm And we'll talk to a business leader from Savannah in the state of Georgia in the United States, as well as the chief executive of a new Irish organisation called Tradebridge to hear more about how business links between the southeast of Ireland and the southeast of Georgia, first established almost 200 years ago, are being revived in the 21st century. But first, joining me on the line to discuss some of the business stories, the big business stories making the headlines, is Laura Slattery of the Irish Times. Good evening, Laura. Evening, John. How are you? Now, we've often discussed a broad range of things and we touch off Facebook, Google, Apple, all these people. They used to be known as the fangs, but they're really dominating business headlines these days. Let's start with Twitter. Yeah, what an interesting week for Twitter. Um Obviously, under uh, the new owner, Elon Musk, um, there's very rarely not an interesting week for Twitter. Um, But this week, it allied itself with the uh, governor of Florida, a Republican by the name of Ron DeSantis, and said that he would launch his uh, bid for the presidency on Twitter itself using an audio feature called Twitter Spaces. But it all went terribly wrong because the servers melted, as as a friend of Musk said. Too many people tried to listen, and it was very, very difficult for Ron DeSantis just to say the simple words, I'm running for president. Yeah, it doesn't reflect well, presumably, on Ron DeSantis and certainly doesn't uh, reflect well on um, Elon Musk. He's the chief technology uh, officer of Twitter, after all, and the technology let him down. Yeah, I mean, it absolutely did. I mean, and there's been some experts uh, from back in the day from pre-Musk Twitter saying, you know, this, this particular feature, this audio feature, you know, was never really out of beta. It was just never really designed to handle an event on this scale. Now, it did kind of get up to 600,000 listeners at one point, but it was just beset by glitches and audio um, disturbances. You couldn't really hear what DeSantis uh, was saying. So you would think that's sort of uh, the number one consideration when you're trying to launch a campaign. Mm. It became more about Twitter itself and Musk himself than it was about Ron DeSantis. 
Yeah. It, there was an irony involved in the whole thing, of course, because Elon Musk, you know, declares himself a free speech absolutist, whereas uh, Ron DeSantis uh, brought in legislation in Florida that has effectively seen a lot of uh, books banned in school libraries and so on. So there's a real um, clash of uh, ideologies there, it would seem. Yeah, uh, and, and, and Musk trying to expand the services and do new stuff while he's got rid of about two thirds of the staff, closed data centres and everything like that. You can't have it everywhere, Elon. Yeah, I mean, that's it. He's let go of so many engineering staff and, they'll, you know, they're the guys who are uh, going to fix this uh, when there are glitches. Uh, so, yeah, it started, I think, about half an hour late. It was uh, a bit of a disaster all around, really. And uh, it's not the kind of image, I think, of, you know, smooth efficiency and competence that any presidential candidate would have. And not to mention the fact that um, Joe Biden will probably look askance at Twitter throwing its weight behind Ron DeSantis, not to mention Truth Social and Mr. Trump. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Uh, Like, you know, this is probably the best, this best news possible for for Donald Trump. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just, it, yeah, Twitter has really become, uh, a, you know, it's taken a political stance the way, same way that broadcasters do, of course. And it's interesting because back in the day before Musk, it probably, you know, like a lot of uh, Californian tech companies, it probably would have been perceived as being leaning towards the Democrats. Uh, whereas now it's sort of, you know, it's Republican friendly. Mm. Um, so there's, yeah, <laughs> huge, huge consequences there, I would say. Now, moving on from Twitter to uh, down the block, I suppose, down to Hacker Way, Facebook. Now, um, you know, we've all had fines for various things, whether it's overdue library books and, and so on. But the fine that uh, Facebook got of 1.2 billion uh, from the Irish data uh, regulator, quite eye-watering, really. Tell us the backstory on that. Yeah, so this is the Data Protection Commission, and it's it's fined Meta, which is the owner of Facebook, uh, 1.2 billion, and that's the largest fine that we've seen to date under the data privacy uh, legislation that came in five years ago, GDPR, as it's fondly known. Um, but, you know, they, they, they said that, that Meta failed to stick to the rules re- requiring that platforms have certain privacy safeguards in place when they're transferring data from Europe to the US, but they didn't really want to find uh, Meta necessarily. It was some of its counterparts in um, Europe, the other privacy regulators who really insisted that there should be a financial penalty here. It's actually the sixth uh, big penalty that Meta has had. Yeah, has anyone ever done a tot on all the fines they've had to pay? I think it's about 2.5 billion, yeah, and uh, that's in total. So this this has added a big chunk to that total. Um, I think they actually could have been technically fined about 4 billion for this particular offence. And a lot of it brings back to a legal challenge by the the Austrian uh, privacy campaigner, Max Schrems. And he was kind of concerned that, um, you know, that that there was no protection really for Europeans over their data being viewed by U.S. intelligence agencies. Mm. So now Meta says it's been sort of singled out. You know, Nick Clegg, you may remember him. him. He's their head of global affairs. And he says the whole thing is flawed and sets a dangerous precedent and they shouldn't have been fined. But it's... uh, they, they, they're going to have to do something about it because they can't continue to um, have the same data transfer operation uh, in place for, for, for too much longer. Or and, all the, and all the while, um, this week also, sadly, they've laid off, not far off, 20% of their Irish workforce. 
Yeah, I mean, this is a, a pretty sort of miserable uh, development, you could say, for the, the staff themselves, certainly. Um, they let go about 350 people la- late last year, and there was a maybe up to um, maybe 50 in March um, were made redundant, and now 490 jobs start to go. Now, it was expected that there would be another um, uh, batch of redundancies, uh, but it's a very big number, 18% of the workforce. Um, they did have more than 3,000 at one point here, they had expanded a lot in recent years. And, you know, the T-shirts would say, you know, a lot of these people are very highly skilled and there, there is still buoyant tech uh, employment overall. Mm. Um, so they will find employment, but it's obviously not very nice to... Yeah, and Twitter was big in Ireland and they've laid off most of their staff here as well. The bank centre was, yeah. uh, the, the old bank centre, AIB bank centre in Balls Bridge. Facebook took that over. Um, my impression was that it'd take about 5,000 people. It must be a bit uh, lonely in there, I would imagine. Yeah, I think it is. And I think they've backtracked on some of their plans for occupying it and, uh, and uh, have a you know, some some of the space that they were going to occupy there is, is being sublet instead to others. And yeah, you kind of wonder where it's all going with Meta because it's a lot of its business, it's, its advertising business has sold. Um, it's you know, its main product, Facebook, isn't as popular um, perhaps as it used to be with with, with younger um, consumers in particular. Now, Instagram, which it also owns, is, is going great guns still. Actually, Instagram is thinking about maybe bringing out a sort of a version of Twitter next year. Oh, surprise. Um, All of these things are kind of, you know, one tech company's misfortune is another tech company's opportunity. And uh, TikTok, of course, is getting banned uh, or curtailed or taken off bureaucrats' phones at any rate. Where are they in all this? Yeah, I mean, there have been a lot of governments and, and different official authorities have said we're not comfortable with TikTok because um, they're just not not 100% uh, uh, certain that their data isn't being looked at back in China and in the, the US state of Montana actually banned TikTok in its entirety and I'm not sure how they plan to enforce that mm. but yeah, I mean it's hugely popular with young people, TikTok and it really kind of has the audience that um, they're all you know, after that, that, that Instagram and Facebook used to have yeah um, and it's kind of addictive, I think. <laughs> I'm not on it myself now, Laura, uh, so I can't follow your talks or ticks <laughs> or whatever they're called. Laura, uh, we've just about run out of time, but just um, just ask you, what happens to the, the money from the fines? Does the Ireland Inc. Exchequer get $1.2 billion from Facebook? I know there's talk of whether we will or not get money from Apple, but what happens to all these fines? Yeah, I mean, I think it just basically goes in, into the into the system of regulation, as far as I know. Um, yeah, the, the the Apple money, yeah, that's another that's another case. But I don't know if we're going to see that either. That's that's a sum of thirteen point one billion, and you know, the state has said, well, actually, we don't want that because we don't believe we're owed that money. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's uh, <laughs> weird and wonderful uh, times. Yeah, yeah, companies and um, big money. Yeah, well, look, look, Laura, it's a pleasure talking to you as usual. And uh, hopefully when you're back on next time, we'll have moved on from these uh, these uh, social media giants. I'm just trying to suppress some cynicism there. But, uh, you know, we'll have moved on from the from the Punch and Judy show that often characterizes them. That's Laura Slattery from The Irish Times. Thanks for joining us, Laura. Thanks. With John Purcell, The Bottom Line on KCLR. KCLR. 
Casey Lauren Deed, you're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business. John Purcell here with you until 7 o'clock, just 23 and a half minutes after 6. Now, Tradebridge is a new organisation established with the support of local authorities and other business development organisations across the southeast of Ireland and including, of course, Kilkenny and Carlow. Its purpose is to develop trade links between the southeast of Ireland and South Georgia, USA. This week, a delegation of business leaders from Savannah in Georgia, that's Georgia in the US, as I've said. We're in this area. I got to meet some of them uh, at a very nice reception in Sullivan's Brewery on Tuesday night. And on Wednesday morning, I met some more of them. Here's how I got on. John Coleman, you're the incoming chair of the World Trade Centre in Savannah, an important uh, business organisation in Savannah. What brings you to the southeast of Ireland and Kilkenny today? Well, John, thanks for having me today. Um, we're over here in um, in Kilkenny. We've actually were here a couple of days before over into Wexford. So we, um, the World Trade Centre Savannah, is part of the Trade Bridge group that we've put together, um, and so the Trade Bridge is working with Wexford. There are five counties in Southeast Ireland, and so we're moving around the counties, meeting a lot of folks in the, in the various counties and talking about economic development and, and opportunities that will exist or exist between the Southeast of Ireland and the Southeast of Georgia. And the links between the Southeast of Ireland and the Southeast of Georgia go way back. I was quite surprised to learn. Tell us a bit about that. They certainly do. Um, gentleman, uh, Dr. Howard Keeley, who is a professor for Georgia Southern University back uh, many years ago uh, began to do, actually he was the head of Irish studies for Georgia Southern University and Dr. Keeley quite frankly has put together uh, you know all this information and has shown several of us uh, at uh, World Trade Center and, and, and in our group the links between Wexford and Savannah and, and back in the late 1800s um, one out of every four people that was in, that, that is, was in Savannah at the time was Irish Irish, and almost 60% of those people were from the southeast of Ireland. So there's tremendous uh, connection between uh, southeast Ireland and, and Savannah. And so going further back, even um, a Kilkenny company, the Brewing Dynasty Smithics, have strong links with Savannah as well, and those are carried on to the present day with Sullivan's Brewery, where you were last night. Absolutely. So they hosted us for a reception here in Kilkenny, a wonderful time. Um, they actually are a sponsor of a, uh, our GAA team in Savannah which has really getting a lot of traction in Savannah um, today. And I understand that, uh, amazingly, Savannah hosts the second biggest St. Patrick's Day parade in the United States. Well, we argue that point. We think it's the, the largest uh, parade in, uh, in the United States, certainly the most fun, no doubt. But uh, we're very proud of it. In fact, next year will be our 200th parade. So we invite everybody to come out. <laughs> it ought to be a great time. I'd say you leave us in the shade here a bit in uh, Kilkenny and but this is very much a business trip. Give us a sense of what kind of a, a business area Savannah is. So Savannah is is really a fantastic uh, place in the United States. We're as, uh, we're in the southeast portion of the country. Uh, as I mentioned, Savannah is a, uh, a very much a port city, largest container port uh, in the United States. Um, with that, uh, we've had tremendous growth uh, over the last. 
20 years, and now um, the largest project in the state of Georgia history has come to our shores uh, in the Hyundai project, um, and that is going to bring 15,000 jobs to our area, um, in which, you know, the reason that Hyundai located probably in our area is because of the port and the other, you know, the workforce, the great opportunity that exists in our area, uh, we've been able to attract a lot of businesses to our location. And how do you see the trade bridge between Southeast Ireland and Southeast uh, Georgia developing? So I tell you, I've, I've been involved with this project since 2016, and so I've really seen it start from its infancy stage, and so we're quite proud of where it is uh, today. Uh, yesterday, we were over in Wexford. We had a meeting uh, with uh, lots of companies, probably 60 companies, and so we're starting to see that excitement. And what we're, what we're seeing is a lot of the companies that have come thus far are coming back, sharing their experiences with potential companies that want to come over. And so, you know, that's what we want. We want that groundswell. We want that excitement. And so we're quite pleased with where we are today, and we think that there's only uh, brighter skies in the future. And uh, big links can be formed out of just simple introductions. And like last night and at other events, I know you've got plans. People are actually making links. Can you tell us about the delegation that you've got with us uh, over from Savannah at the moment? Certainly, certainly. Yeah, we have a fantastic group. So, you know, what's been wonderful about our, our, our process thus far is, you know, we have the educational component with Georgia Southern University. Uh, we have certainly those of our, our my team with uh, Savannah Economic Development Authority and World Trade Center Savannah. And then we also have folks from Visit Savannah, Joe Marinelli, and, and the, and the um, Savannah Chamber component, but also the port. Um, and so we've had this team uh, going around to several of the counties and talking about, you know, the potential as a whole. And it really, I think the message has really resonated with lots of folks that, uh, you know, Savannah is a great place to do business. Uh, the southeast of Georgia is a great place to do business. And so I think having, being able to show folks um, that whole picture, if you will, uh, has, is tremendous. And then in addition to that, you know, with Georgia Southern University having a, a campus here in Wexford in the southeast of Ireland, that really, really, you know, shows folks that there's a commitment from our standpoint uh, uh, to this project. Well, listen, um, John, it's a pleasure talking to you and you're very welcome to this part of the world. And we look forward to seeing links develop between Savannah, Carlo Kilkenny, and indeed the entire southeast region. John, thank you for your time. Thanks for the opportunity to talk this morning. Um, Claire McInerney-Brown, you're the chief executive of TradeBridge. TradeBridge is an organization that really formalizes the links that, you know, have been there for over nearly 200 years. That's right, John. It absolutely does. It's actually revisiting uh, the links that did exist in the 1700s when ships sailed from the southeast of Ireland to Savannah. And obviously we had emigration uh, at that time. It was much, um, I suppose, many, many uh, years prior to our famine. Um, but So there was also trade in both directions and uh, with smithics going in the direction of Savannah, but also the wood for the casks to hold the smithics uh, beer came in the other direction, so from Georgia into the southeast of Ireland. So those links have gone back for many, many years. Uh, we've had a lot of our clergy from the southeast go over to the Savannah region. Uh, we've had some very successful bishops uh, who have run dioceses uh, in the region that have stretched from Savannah right down into Florida. And so the Irish diaspora, if you will, have been successful not only in 
business like John's family, um, you know, but also in the clergy and in, in, in uh, formalising, I suppose, the different uh, dioceses in that region. Who are the key stakeholders from an Irish point of view in uh, Tradebridge and, you know, how is it funded, I suppose, to put it down to brass tacks? So, John, uh, Tradebridge is funded by the Regional Enterprise Development Fund. Um, it is backed by Enterprise Ireland and so Brian Fives and Martin Corkery from, um, from EI, who you'd be very familiar with, are backing the programme. We also work in conjunction with the export development team, so Mel Galloway, Kieran Cullen and Marie Russell Walsh are the three located in this area. In conjunction with that, I work with the five county councils of the southeast, and so obviously here in Kilkenny, that's uh, we work with the Leo here, so Aileen McGrath as head of Leo and Martina Comerford on the tourism side. In, Kilke- in Carlo, we work with Kieran Comerford and Seamus Doran, and in Waterford, Jackie Gall, in Wexford, Breach Cosgrave, and in Tipperary, Anthony Fitzgerald. So it's a um, it's funded by those entities, uh, and I'm looking for companies to come on trade missions with me to the Savannah region from the five counties right across the southeast. So this is a golden opportunity, really, for people who may be listening, who may be thinking, yeah, it, it's all about export, there's a big world out there, but you can actually lead to introductions uh, among the business community in Savannah and southeast Georgia, as John was saying. So yes, John, we actually simplify that big, bad world that's out there. So we have these strong links between Tradebridge in Ireland and the World Trade Centre in Savannah. I have a, a counterpart in the World Trade Centre, Chris Ahern, who is the Director for Research and Trade Development. So between Chris and I, we look at the companies here in Ireland that we onboard into the Tradebridge programme. We go through you know, who their target audience would be. Um, that information is, is uh, looked at within the World Trade Centre as to who would be ideal strategic partners to set these companies up with. And so what we promise is that we will arrange for you between two and five meetings in Savannah or in the Savannah metropolitan area, which is the 16 counties that surround Savannah. Uh, and we will form those strategic partnerships in advance of you going to Savannah. So you will know who you are going to meet. And these meetings are warm meetings. They're not cold calling. Uh, and those meetings often spring forth other meetings while you're on the ground in Savannah. So I just, I'm just recently back from a trade mission where I had two companies with me in Savannah. And we started out with about five meetings per company, but actually one company ended up with 11 meetings and the other company ended up with 10. And so you can see that, you know, while in the region, we had people refer us on to other people. And so that's the kind of warm embrace that you're, you're meeting when you're going across there because people want to help. They're opening up their Rolodex, if you like, for, for us, and they're linking us to people within their own business networks. So it's a very strong relationship that we in Tradebridge have with the World Trade Center and indeed with the Savannah Economic Development Authority. But we also utilize their networks. So the networks of their board of directors on both uh, accounts uh, and those people are very generous with their time and they want us to be introduced to their business networks. So what we call it, it's a hand-holding experience. I curate that on the Irish side as CEO, um, but we handhold those companies, especially when they're on the ground in Savannah. But as you and I know, John, uh, in business, it's also all about the follow-up. And so we're very keen that these companies, when they come back to Ireland, we review where they are, we review the um, potential business that they have with partners in Savannah, and then we look to follow up on that. Claire McInerney Brown, their chief executive of Tradebridge here in the southeast, and John Coleman, who's the incoming chair of the World Trade Centre in Savannah, talking to us about the uh, links between southeast Georgia in the United States and the southeast of this country. So, if you're a company that's in business and looking at the United States, and in particular uh, the market in southeast Georgia appeals to you, do get in touch with Tradebridge. Coming up, we're going to be talking to a hotel group who've started. A 
solar farm. This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Carlo, Kilkenny, KCLR. The bottom line with you until 7 o'clock and coming up at 7 o'clock is the Tierlawn Farm Programme with Matt O'Keefe. Do stay tuned for that. Lots of really interesting stories coming along. Now, the Griffin Hotel Group is one of the country's largest independently owned hotel groups and it was founded by GA legend Liam Griffin. Hurling fans will know all about Liam. And uh, the group owns the Monarch Resort Spa and the Ferry Carrig Hotel in Wexford, as well as Hotel Kilkenny in Kilkenny City. The business has been on a long-running sustainability journey and recently announced details of its achievements in developing a solar farm. That's a solar farm, not a solar panel, but a solar farm adjacent to the Monarch Resort Spa in Wexford, a project which they hope will ultimately provide all the electricity for all the hotels in the group. Now, before we came on air, Liam Anthony Griffin, Griffin, a director of Griffin Hotel Group, came into studio to talk to me. I began by asking him to tell us about what his company's plans are to take on the challenge of the climate crisis. Yeah, well, look, it's, it's definitely a challenge and, um, you know, businesses, I think, have to play. We have to play our part. We have to probably play a much bigger part going forward um, if we're going to make make an impact, which we which we definitely need to do. So I suppose we have kind of a 10-year sustainability plan we've been working towards um, and it comprises of many things. So, you know, reducing our energy usage uh, by a minimum of 40%, uh, you know, reducing our water consumption, waste, packaging, uh, developing then renewable solutions to both energy and, and other areas, uh, and, you know, promoting the local circular economy where you're bringing items into your business from less less further afield. Uh, yeah, now we'll talk later everything. on about the, the uh, generation of uh, electricity later on, mm. because you're really at the cutting edge, I would suggest, of, of leading the way in that. But just talk to us a bit about saving energy and, yeah. and all that, because presumably you've been hit as much as anybody else by um, increases in the cost of electricity. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we were hit. We, we came off a very good tariff that we'd had for many years. Um, and I suppose the timing wasn't uh, wasn't brilliant with, with the war in Ukraine, etc. So we came off and our, our tariff was increased by about 400%. 400%. Which you wow. can imagine over properties the size of what we have is a fair shock to the system. Uh, I suppose, thankfully, we had been working on this plan for, for many years, reducing consumption. So it's not just about generating energy, it's also about reducing the amount of energy you use, because that not just frees up more energy on the grid for other people, but it also reduces your cost, which is... Uh, and can you give us business. some practical ideas about how you... Yeah, uh, sure. Well, actually, a couple of two, two, two little practical ideas that came across is, one, one we had a water system in Monarch where we pump our own water out of the well and we pump it back to the property. It had been installed probably in 2006 and when we went back with some some issues to do some work on the well, we took out the pumps and we replaced them. But what we replaced it with, we had a 22 kilowatt basically system that was pumping you know water into Monart. We were able to do the exact same job for two kilowatts. Wow. So if you want to pile that up over a year, you're looking at 200,000 kilowatts over 17,500 kilowatts. Wow. So that's just, and so we took that idea of pumps and went back to all our buildings, which, you know, have been there for a long time. 
and stripped out every pump. So if a pump is there, it's an old pump, it'll go at one speed, it'll be cumbersome, it'll it'll ramp up to full capacity. So we put it all variable speed drive pumps in, they ramp up when they're needed, they ramp down when they're not needed, and that energy efficiency across the board. So each pump we put in was 60 to 80% more efficient than the wow. pumps we were taking out. So you can be running around turning <coughs> off light, lights and uh, <laughs> you've got something in the background like a good old unglamorous pump. Exactly. But it's, it's multiples of energy usage. 100%, yeah, yeah, yeah. And is there huge capital investment required for something like that? There is, there is, and I suppose our properties, you know, we're we're face-front businesses, so every penny you put in the back end, you know, the customer isn't seeing that. So you have to make a choice between what the customer is going to see, and that's that's tough for for a service industry to say, look, actually, we're not going to put the money in the bar, we're not going to put the money in the lobby, we're going to put it in here first. And that was a big decision, but it does free up then, obviously, capital in the end that you can then start to push back out into the forefront of the customer's uh, eyes as well. When do you think we'll get to a situation where, you know, hospitality businesses will start using your positive environmental record as a kind of a positive um, selling point for people to stay with you or, or we, will we ever see that day do you I, think? I, I think we will I think we will I think companies like Google and search engines etc were going to put a big push on us uh, just before kind of pre-COVID that was going to be big on their agenda I think it slipped probably with COVID uh, but I think it's still important and, and it'll only get more important as we go forward and I do think that will make a difference in the end that people mm-hmm. will start to choose greener properties and I think we, we, it's not just about offsetting I think offsetting has been something that a lot of people do you know the offset you know by, by investing in you know whether it's a piece of a rainforest or whatever is going on, but I think we really have to get to the core of the problem, which is what we produce ourselves, and really get that down, and not just offset. And mm. it's really about what we do ourselves. Now, all your properties are at the heart of the sunny southeast, and you're looking to the sun to take your energy saving and your positive um, climate position to the next level. Tell us about that. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a project myself and my brother Michael have been uh, pushing forward since about well 2021. We really sat down and looked at it properly to develop our own again is on the plan you know how to develop renewable solutions and we thought well look best thing we can do is generate our own energy uh, and bring that back into the fold so uh, we have a biomass boiler in, in, in Menart um, we are going to put one into Ferry Carrig uh, unfortunately with Kenny we don't have the space for, for biomass so what we are doing is putting in uh, the most energy efficient gas boilers we can get our hands on just about two weeks ago we craned them in through the ceiling uh, just at the back of the active club there um, and they will reduce our consumption by 30% going forward so wow. you know it's a huge reduction and then what else can we do so we can generate our own energy so yeah we had a 10 acre field in Menart and uh, we decided that we were going to completely deck this out in solar fr- as a solar farm and push the energy back into the grid for our own usage and then whatever's left over great but it's mostly just to get you know it's really about getting our consumption down so, uh, pe- so people will be familiar with seeing solar panels on the roof of houses you know four or six or eight sure. you've got <laughs> ten acres how many panels is that well it's a lot <laughs> we've got one third one third is up and running and uh, that's stage one complete so we're generating at the moment just to kind of put it into perspective uh, we're generating 
thing about you know in the last month it's been open about four weeks we've generated 56 uh, megawatts of electricity so that's 56,000 uh, kilowatts of electricity and so an average household in Ireland in a day would use 11 kilowatts wow so that's, so that's 11 kilowatts versus you, you know what we many multiples you know, and that's yeah. one yeah and that's one third so when we add two more thirds back onto that uh, but hopefully within 12 months then that excess energy will go to the likes of Hotel Kenny and Ferry Car. And w- repeat when did you say yourself and Michael started to seriously get into this? It was quite recently, 2020. Well, 2021 was the solar farm project. But started. Yeah. Okay, but so you Sustainability has been <laughs> yeah, a yeah. longer road. Yeah, but uh, 2021, that's two years yeah. ago, you got it actually up and running and panels on the ground pretty quickly. We did. Tell us we about did. that process. You know, you had uh, the idea. Process, um, yeah. The process was great. It was good. Uh, we had we had we had one person you know a neighbour who was concerned uh, at the time uh, of the field we had selected uh, we spoke to to the person and you know it, you know everyone has concerns about certain things until possibly they know more um, and sometimes you know the statement was well maybe you could do it in another field or maybe you could do it somewhere else but not here and I think that's that's the kind of attitude we need to get over a bit you know I think the, and the, did you get over we it? did absolutely yeah no, it's there and, it's, it's and what's place. the key to getting over that kind of an attitude do you think? I think you have to just explain what this is you know it's 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 low lying panels it's not any way higher than a ditch line it's you know d- it, there's no animals next door making noise there's no houses going to go in there you know you're kind of almost suggesting to somebody who might be a neighbour who might be nearby that actually you're protecting that field to be a field going mm. forward it's not it's not going to be developed and how do you maintain and develop this do you have to have a member of staff who's your solar panel operator or yeah it, it has to be cleaned every every sort of 12 months to, to, really? to need to clean yeah and uh, where we are uh, my brother has a, a bit of land there as well so he's gonna you know, put some sheep in every so often and uh, keep the grass down because actually the grass can grow higher than the panels and start to affect your, your yield yeah so that's the kind of stuff you have to think about. So, yeah, letting sheep into graze and so on. And it's amazing with the technology because we, before we started this, you were showing me, uh, you know, the, the actual live uh, energy consumption uh, figures of Monarch and you can sh- see uh, what's been done through your solar panels and what you're getting from the grid. Yeah, exactly. So you, get, you can keep an eye on it uh, 24-7. You know, you've got live feed. Um, you know exactly what it's performing, how it's performing. Uh, you know exactly then how much is left to do. You know, that's the other thing. So, you know, we have our biomass uh, set up. Um, we're reducing as much as we can in terms of plastics and, and transport and so on. So you still you can still see the little bit there that, you know, is, 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 is needs to be done. And we get to get the other, the other uh, stage two done as well, then it'll be... It'll be much, yeah. And how far along the road, so to speak, are you with kind of achieving optimum sort of electricity management? Or will you ever get to that position, really? Does the technology keep improving? Do you have to keep just at it and at it? Yeah, I think... At some point, you know, you'll, you'll, ex- you'll, you'll generate excess electricity. It's where you put that. It's what you do with it. Uh, some people talk about battery technology. We, I don't think it's there yet. I think it needs another while to go before you, you put in, you know, batteries to take that excess. To store the To store the excess and push it yeah. back out again. Um, I think there needs to be another leap, probably. Probably maybe hydrogen boilers or... But there, there, there needs to be probably something else there to... to, to, to Completely to complete the 360, you know, mm. and make the last piece. I've seen restaurants uh, using solar panels, typically on roofs and mm-hmm. so on. How far away do you think we are from you know people actually devoting ten acres of land to powering their business uh, and so on and so forth? 
I don't, I don't know. I mean, I hope we're, I hope we're getting closer. I hope people see the benefits um, of what it can do and the effect it can have uh, on your business. Um, and with a, with an ROI, typically, of we were looking at eight to ten years, but with the increase of four hundred percent, okay, the energy cost is coming back down again slightly. Um, but it's, that's the point; it's so unreliable. You know, energy so is so that, up and that, down. At that level of increase, then you must be looking at a very quick. You're looking at yeah, you're looking at four to six years. Four uh, to six years. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Um, what would you say to people whose interest is piqued by what you're talking about? I uh, definitely explore it push it to the last bit see see and look see if it's if it's right for you but i think as a, as businesses going forward i think we all need to do uh, you know a lot more and we need to definitely look into these things you know get to the end of it do your numbers get your head around uh, kilowatts and megawatts and see is it something that's for you but i think you know every business really needs to uh, we all, we all have to roll up our sleeves and, and and do more absolutely well listen apart from electricity and uh, all of that how is business it's good. I, w- I would suggest it's, it's kind of normal, <laughs> which normal? For, for me <laughs> in our business and hospitality. After the last no- number of years. Yeah, normalcy is great, you know. So hopefully, you know, Ukraine, you know, everything in the world seems to have an impact on hospitality. So look, you know, normal is a nice place to be right now. So hopefully it continues uh, and things c- continue to tick along nicely. You know, we're not looking for mega. We're not looking for poor. We're looking for that nice, that nice straight, straightward curve across the middle. Uh, it would be nice for a few years for sure John yeah absolutely well Liam Anthony Griffin director of the Griffin Group uh, owners of the Hotel Kakenny in Kakenny and also the Ferry Carrick Hotel and Monarch Destination Spa thanks for joining us on the bottom line thanks John it's great KCLR Casey Lauren, indeed, you're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business. Now, just time to get an introduction to a pretty interesting business that's going to be coming to the banks of the River Barrow in uh, Greg Namana. Dan O'Connor from the Hotbox Sauna joins me on the line. Dan, give us a quick update on what your business is. You graduated with logistics and supply chain management degree, but went, nah, I'm going to do saunas. Exactly. So, basically... Um, the idea spurred when we did a cycle around Ireland and we did Mizzen to Malin and we saw all these beautiful locations on the coast and inland and all these rivers, lakes and the sea and we kind of, myself and my two partners just looked at it and said, I mean something Sauna. different here, saunas, they're, they're getting popular now and it was only one at the time and we just said, look let's go down that route and see how it goes, we'll try and build one and we'll see what happens, we kind of do it as a project, we load the time on our hands uh, we got one built with no experience. We're not builders. We kind of got the, the 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 first project done and had a great time doing it. Had a look for a few different places around Ireland and found our our first our flagship location there on the River Boyne in County Meath. Brought it there and then it all it was a word of mouth. It got around and people came down and tried it and I think everyone kind of fell in love with the idea and it was something different around that time. There was not much else open and it kind of just took off from there. And and you're coming to Kilkenny. We're coming to Kilkenny, exactly. We'll be in Gregnamana, hopefully, in give or take the first, second week in June. Uh, the build is happening at the moment. Uh, it's a really, really cool, unique location just on the on the barrow there. So we're very excited to, to bring that down to, to, to Gregnamana. And a huge upsurge in popularity in saunas, but the, a growing increase that is not just a kind of a, a fad. You go in and get all sweaty. A lot of health benefits. Oh, there's plenty of health benefits. I think, I mean... Apart from the, the, the proven ones and the, the clinical studies carried out in terms of like cardiovascular health and uh, recovery is very popular with athletes as well. I think the most important one is just it's, a, it's an absolute mood booster. You'll, you'll, you'll go into the sauna, you'll have a dip and you will 
guarantee you will leave feeling amazing after. You just feel high on life after it's on. It's, it's just a really, really good feeling. Yeah, and so what kind of groups or individuals are you going to be targeting when you do open in Greg Namana, hopefully before too long? Um, absolutely everyone. We have people who are big sauna enthusiasts and they do it every day in the gym. They'll love what we're doing. And then we have the people who have never done it before and they'll come once and it might be a real new experience for them, but I guarantee they'll fall in love because it's just something different and you will feel, you will leave feeling really, really good after. And so just tell us what, the, what, what your place in Greg Naman is going to be like. So basically we're just in a really cool old stone building just on the, the barrel there in Greg Naman. Uh, you'll walk in, uh, you'll have a sauna down the back of the building and you'll have two change rooms and you'll have windows then overlooking the barrel. And then the idea is you'll go in, you'll probably be in the sauna for in around 10 minutes, get a good sweat on and then walk outside straight into the river um, and then for a plunge. And then kind of you repeat that basically for the time slot, maybe a 45-minute time slot. Mm. And uh, what's the recommended dose of a sauna? Is it like 20 minutes in two blocks of 10 minutes or what? what is it? Um, we would just aim to tell people whatever feels comfortable. So some people might feel like they need to get out after five minutes and that's absolutely fine. Some people can try and push their boundaries and stay in for 20, 25 minutes. But I mean, in around 10 minutes is kind of the perfect medium because you'll, you'll, you'll reap the health benefits off that and it's plenty of time to get a good good soaking. Well Dan, thanks for joining us on the bottom line. That's Dan O'Connor of the Hotbox Sauna and you can uh, check out the Hotbox Sauna at thehotboxsauna.ie and we look forward to welcoming you to Kilkenny. Dan, talk to you again. Thanks very much, John. Uh, that was uh, Dan uh, O'Connor bringing us to the end of this week's Bottom Line. Thanks to all our guests. Remember, if you missed any of the programme, you'd like to listen again, or any of your friends or business associates would like to listen, they can do so by searching the Bottom Line on Casey Law and any place you get your podcasts. Send us an email at the bottom line at caseylaura96fm.com. Thanks to all our guests this week. Thanks to Deirdre Drummy, who produces the show, and thanks to you for listening. We'll be back next week, just after after the news at six with more stories for and about business. Until then, enjoy the good weather, look after yourself and look after each other. Where possible, keep it local. Stay tuned to KCLR and keep the faith. This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. 